Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Welcome back after a long, long international window where Scotland qualified to the Euros. Congratulations to all the Scottish football fans that are watching us online on YouTube. Commiserations to my fellow Irishmen who once again had to suffer through a turgid uh, couple of weeks of uh, football. But thankfully, club football is back. Celtic are back this weekend with an away trip to Hearts, which will be interesting, always is. And I think what makes this most interesting, Alan, James, welcome along, is that for once, Celtic are not going here with about 10 good men and others with arms hanging off. It seems like there are quite a few players coming back from injury. So we'll kick off with that, Alan. Um, Lager Bialka is back. He scored for Sweden over the course of the international window. Uh, Mike Navroski is back. The centre-backs positions are looking pretty healthy right now. Um, Liam Scales made his international debut for Ireland over the course of that uh, period as well. Played actually quite well in in both games, it has to be said. So things are looking up at Celtic. I'm going to kick it off with a bit of like a bit of crack and a bit of bit of arguments because I I think everyone knows at this stage where I'm going to fall on this uh, side of the debate. But uh, Liam Scales does not get dropped. I'm just saying. I'm just going to put that out there now, Alan. You can't drop him. You can, regardless of whether the two guys are fit, it has to be Cameron Carter Vickers and Liam Scales. Well, uh, you know, listen, uh, you know, as much as I'd love to to goad you, but <laughs> um, yeah, listen, it, it's 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 all about partnerships and and stability, and as far as defence is concerned, and obviously there hasn't been that this season. Carter Vickers is only just back himself, and obviously was very rusty against, uh, you know, in, 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 when he was thrown in against Lazio, obviously. Um, so it's it's been change, change, change. You know, Ralston played the first couple of games at right back, and Johnson's only just settled back. He's played the last four league games, ninety minutes. Taylor's been, the, you know, Hart, I suppose, have been the, the two constants. So I think, you know, great. Novotsky's back. He's had a couple of weeks training under his belt. He's had a reasonably uh, long absence. Um, I don't think he's played since the end of August. Um, so, you know, I think it's pitching him straight back in. Especially in a tricky away game uh, at Tynecastle, is probably a little bit too early. Um, does Scales 
deserve to get dropped for Lager Bielka? Probably not. So I think, you know, it's only fair that you carry on with the the, the pair that played in the last sort of game and a half together. Um, you know, Phillips also has got a few minutes under his belt. So, yeah, it's good to have choices now, but I think it's all about now thinking about the, the, the sort of delicate balance, the delicate relationships in the defence and not sort of, you know, disrupting that unnecessarily. But, you know, on form, you have to say Scales has is, is, is done nothing to warrant getting dropped for sure. So, yeah, I think you carry on, uh, but it's good that there's a bit of competition now. Yeah, and like James, I, we're not playing triple manager or FIFA here. It's not as simple as saying, okay, Mike Navrosky might be more talented than Liam Scales. He's automatic. He's back. He automatically goes straight back into the team. You're talking about human beings here, relationships, psychology. Brendan Rodgers is quite good at man management, I would say overall. Um, there is a psychological impact to dropping Liam Scales as well, as well as what it does to the football team on the pitch. There is like almost that idea that okay, Liam Scales, you've done very well for us. You've come in, you've 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 sorted out the position, you've been confident, you've added to the team in, in certain ways as well. Thanks thanks very much for that for the last couple of weeks. But this guy's available now. What message does that send to any of the substitutes or backup players in the squad? that they're not going to get rewarded for their form. It, I, I, it, that's complicated. I, I don't know. Um, I get what you're saying. I think it's certainly a risk. Um, but as, as you were saying that, an old Seinfeld episode went through my mind where George is working at, I forget which company, uh, one of his many companies that he worked at, and uh, he's frustrated because he tells jokes, gets good laughs at the meeting table, and then he ends up, you know, telling a stinker. And he decides, you know what? When I get my laugh, I'm going to get up and leave the meeting. Um, and part of me thinks that would be a good way for this to end for Scales, meaning that if he were to get dropped <laughs> Saturday, uh, we'd always have the last kind of six, eight weeks. Um, and I think my concern is that there's an element of a ticking. Well, I'm not going to use that phrase right now. Um, there, there's, there's risks of this going wrong that have been latent, meaning that they've been there, uh, as Alan has chronicled, um, um, multiple times on the show about how, you know, kind of the disparity between Lager Bielka and scales hasn't really been performance. It's been outcome. Um, and they've been kind of the same Lager Bielka's issues have turned into, um, opposition chances and goals and scales for a variety of reasons just haven't. And I think that that, so if, if there weren't those underlying issues, I'd say it'd be a, a simple answer. Um, and, and I'd be in full agreement with you and, uh, um, and, and Alan, but I, I think, I, I, to, to me, it's more so about where um, Phillips and Navratsky are fitness-wise, and what the long-term plan is there. Meaning that if you know if Navratsky's fully fit and he's seen as the left center back with uh, Carter Vickers, then I mean, do we wait until Scales has an inevitable blow-up game to drop him? I don't think that makes sense either. I mean, that, that's not fair to the guy. Um, if he's just going to have one bad game, you see what I'm saying? Like, so this logic can get 
kind of circular where it's, oh, it's just one bad game. And then he's been good, but for that. So at what point do you rip the Band-Aid off if that's like the strategic decision that's going to be made? Um, so Phillips is the kind of quixotic one because he was brought in for this emergency reason and probably not in the long-term plans, but theoretically of a level that's maybe above um, Navratsky and, and scales at this this point in their careers. Uh, I say theoretically because, you know, I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I probably, if I, between the two, I mean, I'd, I would think if he's fit, that's a big if obviously, given how long he's been out, if Navrotsky's up for it, I mean, I, that would make the most sense to me. Um, cause he was brought in as, you know, that, that kind of, um, replacement for Starfelt seemingly. I mean, I think that probably the most logical, um, conclusion. So yeah, I, my preference is if he's fit, I'd probably go Navrotsky, but um because i i want the legend of liam to continue i don't want it squandered <laughs> yeah well like the, I, I do see that point and i suppose what some people might throw at me here is that let's say if, if Lionel messi was playing in the team and he was out injured for a period of time and a youth player took his place but played really well you're not going to leave Lionel messi on the bench for uh when he's back fit so but i guess my my retort to that uh theoretical argument would be that the disparity and difference of quality between Scales, Navratsky, and Lagerbielka is so small that it doesn't merit it. It's not like Cameron Carter-Vickers is the guy we're debating should Liam Scales be starting ahead of Cameron Carter-Vickers because it's not. He is a, a nailed-on starter because he's the best defender in the league. But we haven't seen enough of Navratsky or Lagerbielka or even Phillips since he came to Liverpool from Liverpool to say that he is they like you know we're leaving an absolute star player on the bench here just because the guy's playing fit playing well and I don't actually necessarily think it takes uh you know a, a mess up or a, a bad mistake or giving away a goal or a really bad game or a stinker for name skills to be dropped. Brent Rogers seeing them week in week out of training if Navrosky or Lagerbielka are outperforming him in training which we're not seeing then there is potential that he does drop out of the team but everything seems to be on the upward trajectory right now for skills. So at the minute, I think it's a very fine line between dropping probably the informed player and destroying his confidence versus bringing in somebody who might not even be that much better at him, especially when you see the impact at domestic level. Champions League is a different story altogether. But yeah. uh, domestically, do you see as much of a difference uh, dropping Liam Skills and bringing in Navratsky is the risk reward element there? I just don't think so. I, I think the coming off of injury aspect complicates that, given how long yeah, he was out. Time, so I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. And you know, ultimately, it's you know, it's the old trust and Brendan type of posture. Uh, to your point, as far as what's going on in training, that we obviously can't know anything about. But um, I, I, I'll disagree with one thing you said. I mean, I, I, I think I, I'm in agreement that I don't see a material difference relative to kind of defending in those three players. Um, I think on the ball, I don't even think it's close. Like Navratsky is um, uh, significantly better than Lagerbielka or Scales on the ball. Um, that's my view. Um, that when I looked at him when we signed him, that was part of the standout aspect of his profile actually my concerns have been defensively <laughs> more so than on the ball um so yeah i but again 
he's, he's going to be rusty, but that's going to continue. I mean, you know, at some point, if he's the heir apparent, so to speak. So the, I, I guess the question is, has, has the calculation of Liam Scales' long-term profile at the club shifted because of what's going on in the last six weeks? I don't think that should be the case. I don't think he's played um, at a level. Again, this is the difference between performance and outcome. Um, you know, throw in a couple of things that could have went against them that didn't kind of like with Lagerbilk and the whole narrative shifts. Um, so sample size is relatively small, everything else that, you know, it's not like he's a new player. This wasn't a summer signing that was because he's a young player. He's going to go out on loan. Um, and that got, you know, shifted because of the injury issue. This is somebody who's been around quite a while and has seemingly would think a full assessment on, on their, you know, um, positives and negatives so i it, may, maybe it will be i mean i maybe he's a late bloomer and he's crossed this th- threshold on confidence i mean these things do happen i'm just saying that uh, i would have liked to have seen less negative aspects of his play even during what i think most people would agree has been a glorious <laughs> uh uh period of endocol gloating uh and i mean liam scale playing well um, so yeah, I, I think it's just a question of when, unless something kind of tectonic plates shifted in who Liam Scales is viewed as. You got, I mean, you've got, you've got to, it comes down to, I think, or it maybe should come down to, you know, you've only got six, well, four Champions League matches left. And depending on what you're seeing in training, what is the team that's going to give you the best chance to get any points at all in the Champions League group? In which, and if it is Nabrowski, then you need to get him in. <laughs> he's, 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 otherwise, he's just going to be sitting on the bench. You know, you know what I mean. I mean, and I think that would be really harsh on scales. But if Nabrowski I think Alan, I think I, chance, I think I'm sorry. I think Nabrowski's not even on the. Uh, if my memory serves, I don't think Nabrowski's on the Champions League squad. I think he was one of the names that was left out um, because of the long term okay. injury. Yeah. Again, at, and the other producer checked me on that, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I I get your point. Now, to me, that that applies also to Phillips. Meaning that if if this is about still salvaging something in the Champions League, um, then I could even see Phillips being, um, you know, a reasonable option as a a bridge as these younger players. Um, you know, if the if the idea was he was a higher level player that we brought in an emergency loan, oh by the way, he just happened to be injured or you know not as fit as they hoped, um, then I could see him kind of assuming his spot at least through the the winter break if if he's of that level. And again, I don't know, I, he's not blown my doors off when I, you know so far playing, but yeah, uh, yeah, you're right, James. Uh, Navratsky was left out of the the Champions League squad, but um, do you want to make your point in anyway? General, yeah, no. In that in that case, then there's probably no point throwing them back in away to Hearts. Frankly, um, you, you want to have a settled partnership going into the two games against Atletico Madrid, which are going to be difficult enough as they are, without you know adding further jeopardy through messing about point. with the centre half pairings. So really, you're back to you know has Scales done enough to keep his place? Yes, and you know has Lagerbielka or Phillips done enough to to oust him? 
probably not. So there you go. That's your answer. Uh, because mm. you know, as you said, Novotsky's not in the in the in the Champions League squad. In which case, you do wonder when he's going to play. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll I'll just close out the debate with um, sort of a, a similar thing that's happening in the Premier League right now and in Arsenal that they brought in uh, Raya from Brentford and uh, they already have Ramsdale from and Arteta did this fanciful thing of saying they don't have a number one that he sees them the same as outfield players they're replaceable and he can change them in game if he wants and it's not a big deal and then when push came to shove when the big games came it was David Raya that got the number one goalkeeping position and hasn't been put out of it just yet by Aaron Ramsdale. So I, I would imagine it'll be similar to that where there will get to a point where it will push come to shove. And um, if, if, like I said, it all depends on training and the aspects that we're not really seeing. If Brandon Rogers doesn't think Liam Scales is good enough to be starting for Celtic, he probably will drop him eventually. But uh, at the minute, I don't think he, he has done anything. And I would agree with you, just keep it steady for the next couple of weeks until we get these two fixtures over and done with and see what happens then, reassess then. Um, but so just the final one on that. I, I don't think it will be Phillips for the simple reason that if we've got four centre halves fit, Phillips is costing an absolute fortune, right? And I suspect the club don't want to keep him if they don't have to. Uh, and I, I think it will come down to that. And you know, he's looked a bit rusty, frankly, in the in the, in the minutes that he's played. Uh, and again, if it came to it, who are you going to give minutes to? You're going to give minutes to your your big statement signing centre half for the, from the summer aren't you you know not not some guy you've got on loan who's costing you a fortune is probably going to go back in january yeah big time um so i've been reading some stuff ahead of the weekend mainly your stuff alan you uh, have been writing for uh, the celtic way and you say that celtic have an efficiency problem so i'd like to sure. pick that apart a little bit um by what you generally mean by that yeah, I mean, listen. You know, I think James and I both do a similar uh, thing in that we um, look at, you know, we, we talk about this XG differential. So, uh, and and I I have a rolling six six game XG differential average. So you take the average of expected goals for and against, roll it over um, six games to sort of smooth out. Uh, you know, one offs like nine nil against Dundee, etc. And uh, you know. And look at the trends, and as I say, under under Postacoglu, you were getting to this kind of stage where you're looking at an XG differential on average of between one and a half and even two, which is just ludicrous and almost doesn't guarantee victory, but it you know it, the odds are significantly in your favour if you keep keep that up, and that's and that was actually falling all the way through the second half of last season. It was reducing uh, quite significantly actually as a trend. And and it's and it's continued to do so, and uh, it's very early days of the season. But the gap is like really small, uh, and the XG against is averaging over one, which is not good. Um, the, the 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 thing about efficiency was um, it, one of the things which kind of I was interested in, and, and James will have a, a view on this, which I'm in, I know James is very uh, impressed in general. I think with stats bombs. XG model, but Statsbomb's XG model hates Celtic, absolutely hates them. And, you know, their, their average XG per shot, according to Statsbomb, is like horrible. It's like below 0.1 per shot. Whereas Opta data, which, I, which I, when I collect my my SPFL level stats for all teams, I use Opta data from FOTMOB, which is free. Everyone, anyone can do that. 
um, they, they much prefer Celtic and actually Celtic have got the highest XG per shot according to Opta, which is so, so we're not talking about a small difference here. We're, we're having stats bombs say Celtic are absolutely terrible in terms of average XG per shot. And we've got Opta saying, um, you know, Celtic have got the best XG per shot in the league. So that's, that's that, that to me is a significant problem in terms of the data, uh, the data providers. And these are two big, these are not like Tinpot. These are the two biggest names, arguably, in, in data provision. Uh, Opta and stat and stats bomb. So I, I tried to have a look at you know because what 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 my data tends to do is always to kind of fall in the middle of these two, which is, it just always has. It's just the nature of it, um, and that's probably in in you know uh, philosophically that's probably makes a bit a bit of sense. So I don't think you know uh, things like you know shot accuracy uh, on on target conversion, all shot conversion. These are things which are kind of you know not not as good as they were under Postecoglou, um, and you know some of it is to do with um, you know just the fact that for example we're just taking less shots from inside the box, you know that that in itself will reduce your overall chances of scoring, um, but really but really I think it comes down to the players that are available. Long story short, I don't think there's anything systemic in the way Celtic are playing that's flawed. Um, because as Roger said in his interview today, he didn't. He's not actually trying to change things too radically. He's just tweaking a few bits and pieces. But uh, you know, I would argue he's got significantly less well resource, uh, well you know, resources in, in the attacking arsenal than than what he had. And really, what it came down to for me in terms of why is Celtic, why is Celtic's attack not as efficient as it was last season, um, is if you look at who the players that had some of the highest kind of um, conversion rates and. Um, the highest sort of um, XG per shot. We talked a lot last year about how the subs came on and against tired teams. But you know that doesn't just allow you to rack up, uh, you know, three nils into five nils. It also allows you to turn, you know, one one into three one and one nil into three nil, etc. Right. So it's important, to, you know, to close out games and to 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 keep to keep winning and winning well. And so players like Haksabanovic. David Turnbull, as he was last season, Giacomakis, Abada, who was mainly used as a sub. These players all had really efficient attacking stats and, and virtually not, we, don't, we don't play any of those players anymore. And the players that we've replaced them with are actually really inefficient. So the likes of you know, Palmer and Yang, I know it's very early days, it's tiny data, but they're terrible for losing the ball in the final third. And whereas last season we had Aaron Moy, he was incredibly efficient in his final third in terms of he didn't give the ball away much, he created quite a lot. We're now relying on, you know, you know, Rio Hatati, who's, 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 as we've said many times before, is probably the least efficient in that sense. He's now the most advanced midfielder of the three. So we just, and we don't have the subs coming off the bench that are suddenly making all the stats look good by padding out the last sort of half an hour of the game. So it really, it's a simple point. It really comes down to emphasising that, um, you know, Rodgers doesn't have the attacking options and quality that he had last season. And the way it manifests itself is in being less efficient in the final third. And that eventually will hurt you in terms of games that you should win ending up being draws and games that you should, you know you could have pulled a goal back, you don't. So that's that's the concern. But the caveat to that is some of these players have not yet really bedded in and had a chance to really prove themselves and hopefully they will improve. Um, we have had a difficult run of fixtures and a lot of injuries. So these are all things you have to say, you know, balance that out to some extent. But, you know, last season, it's, a sh- it's, a- it's such a shame that Giacomac is- was unhappy playing the role he was playing because the role he was playing, he was doing it brilliantly. You know, 
the 30 minute man, he, he was going to score 15, 20 goals just playing 30 minutes a game, the way he was going, right? And, and would have won three medals, you know, right? But, you know, you know, fair play to him. He wants to further his career and be a starter. And he's doing very well for himself in, in, the, in, the, in the US League. But as a squad, that's what you're looking for. And even, say, even the likes of Haksabanovic, you know, fans don't remember him particularly fondly, but he, he was very effective coming coming off the bench. So, yeah, that, 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 was, that was really it. I think, you know, the, the overall team stats are not great, but when you dig down to it, it comes back to this point that I don't think we gave Rodgers the best, uh, you know, the best resources that we, I think we should have done. Yeah. yeah. I'm, so, I'm sort of torn on the Jack and Marcus stuff because at one level I get it because he wants to play more minutes, but at another level, a striker only really wants to score goals and if he's getting the golden boot after the amount of minutes that he's playing, I, I, you know, he might just want to be happy with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, like if, if you're coming off the bench for, you know, 30, 40 minutes every game and you're still the top goal scorer in the league, I get why you want to be starting. But at the same time, I mean, when he was starting, was he as efficient? That's the debate that will always be had over Giacomacus. So um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm most disappointed in, in O, to be honest, because when he first came to the club, he looked like a much more rounded player and uh, really effective compared to Giacomacus that was very one-dimensional in that he was a goal scorer, uh, whereas O has fallen off a cliff this season. He doesn't really seem to be showing the, the good parts of his game and he's also not effective, yeah. which I think is quite frustrating. Um, well, he's got, he's, hang on. He's, he's at, sorry, James, I'll, I'll let you... No, I'll, go just ahead. One thing on this. He's, he's got 82 minutes he's played so far, right? I was so going to he's say, not he's, even, he's, he's, not, he's not even getting the Giacomacus half an hour, right? He's, he's only played... In fact, the most he's played in one game was 21 minutes, uh, and that was at home to uh, Dundee, right? Um, and also, I, look, I actually somebody on Twitter sort of raised a similar point to what you just made there, and, and my response to that was, when Giacomacus was the same age as old, when he was 22 years old, he had just... That was his breakout season at some minor Greek team. And that got him his move to a big club, AEK Athens, in, in a Greek sense, where he absolutely tanked, right? So, oh, he's had his breakthrough at his South Korean club, and now he's at his big club, and he's trying to find his way. And by the way, he's, he's had 82 minutes. So I wouldn't be too – I wouldn't write him off. This is, but on the other – what I would say is that, you know, Kyogo is not getting the help that he needs. Well, and I, I think that's um, – I would – not only is it only 82 minutes, but I think if you – uh, in in defense of O, um, you know we've talked about this in recent weeks that the volume of quality from Kyogo has been dramatically lower, um, yes. and and as part of this efficiency and the because I'm in a, I'm in agreement with all of Alan's conclusions. I'll talk about the modeling stuff here in a second, but um, that the attacking it, we're just not um, efficient or as effective in our attack so far this season. And um, particularly, and I know Alan's written a piece about this. I've I've looked into it quite a bit. Our wing play has been pretty, you know, from a from a creativity perspective, uh, and obviously that's going to have a direct impact on um, a striker. And we're seeing that with Kyogo, who's kind of having to be more um, desperate's the wrong word, but he's he's having to drop back in a lot more. And some of that's by design, probably with from Rogers, but also. I mean, if no one's getting you the ball, at some point you're like, how many freaking runs am I going to make and no one's getting me the ball? And because, you know, Hitate's been out of form up until recently, 
there just hasn't been a lot of stuff going through midfield either, you know, with some notable exceptions from McGregor playing some brilliant uh, balls from deep. You know, so the engine, so to speak, has been malfunctioning. That's how I view it. And I think, um, you know, it'd be different if we were at two and a half XG like we were and at periods of Ange's uh, tenure and Kyogo's, you know, at one XG per game and 0.25 XG per shot like he was at stretches under Ange. And then O's coming in and just laying a turd. That would be different. But I, I don't, and th- more than 82 minutes. Um, but I, I don't think you know, is, is limited minutes and going into this context, I, I, I think it's, you know, I don't think Jack Amakis would be doing anything either in this environment um, with, with that amount of minutes or very little. I, I wanted to address a couple of things that Alan said on, because I, I can clarify. I don't, it's not a right or wrong thing. It's just a clarification. So um, particularly, and I looked, it's a hundred and um, 144 shots so far this season. So last season we had just under 700. That's in the league only. Um, so r- relatively small sample size. And at, over time, um, larger sample size, a lot of these cut things kind of wash out in the nuances in the models. But the two big things that Stats Bombs uh, accounts for that can create very significant variance relative to other models in smaller sample sizes is the height of the ball and aerial shots. So you can have huge disparities there where, you know, Y scout or, or, um, uh, 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 what's the one with FOP mob? Uh, Opta. Opta. Yeah. Um, they they might have a shot at like 0.25 and, uh, stats bomb might have it at like two because the shot, you know, the ball was just at a height where, you know, it just wasn't going to be something that the player can get to. The other thing is defensive positioning. So particularly in this, I think segues with what Alan said about the number of shots inside the box versus outside the box and decision-making to a degree, uh, I would argue is the, when you have a larger volume of shots from distance, the models that don't account for the positioning of defenders also can rack up like a big difference. So uh, an Optus model might have it at you know, 0.1, whereas um, StatsBomb might have it at 0.01 because there was three defenders right there. Um, and the line of sight was almost non-existent to get it to goal. So th- those are the kind of nuances that, like I said, over thousands of shots wash out. Um, but that when you get into, you know, 144, that you could have some fairly big number ones that trigger um, in, in in the other models that ultimately you know, really skew things. So, and I haven't delved into it that close. I suspect that's probably, probably a, a large part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I think the other part of this and the only other thing I can add is because I, I read Alan's piece that he, he, he wrote as well. Um, and I, I'd written about it and I talked about it a couple of times last season uh, within the context of uncontrollable risks, which is opposition keepers have actually played pretty well against us this season so far. So not only are we maybe not putting as many shots on target when we are opposition keepers are doing a better job. And that's something that last season they were just pathetically horrible, <laughs> like at a level that was, you know, um, in it, what leagues I do have access to uh, like Bundesliga and then, you know, Europa league champions league. I mean, just a, a level of bad shot stopping, uh, from opposition keep. And again, this wasn't because all the keepers are horrible against the other teams in the league, even against Rangers, for example, they were like 
you know, 80% less bad. Uh, so it wasn't that, you know, the level of the keepers, it's just like this weird distribution of, they were really bad in a skewed way against us for some reason, randomness. Um, and that there's been seasons when that hasn't been the case. 1819 Rogers last season was an example of that. Uh, and our, if you look at our goal scoring that season, it was well below what XG, I should say well below, but more in line than what would normally, uh, you'd see Celtic um scoring so so for now again like last year i said about in january when i first noticed this was happening it's like can it endure over a whole season i was surprised it did um so far you know that this could be an issue this goes back to what alan's saying when we're giving up one plus xg our average shot shot quality and our attacking efficiency isn't great as well that's how you turn into drop the points on a more frequent basis. That's how we end up with high eighties point total is that you have opposition keepers, you know, do a better job um, shot stopping against us. And uh, it just happened to in the 38 games that they have against us. Um, and that's been the case so far, whether it'll continue, who knows, but um, I think that's another big part of this. It, I mean, it, it, it equated down to, a, a, I think it was, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When I netted it out, it was, again, on average, obviously, in a single game, that's how it worked. But over a 38-game season, it was something like 0.7 goals per game difference. I mean, that's how big it was. I mean, it was material. I mean, if you look at the four of the teams that we've played so far, um, Motherwell, St. Johnston, uh, the, even the Rangers, and um, uh, Butland. I'm trying to think. Of, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, they've all signed good goalkeepers. The, you know, the lad Dennis, Mitov, Butland. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other one. Den- uh, the other one, I can't remember the, remember the name yeah, of the other guy. But yeah, they, they're, they're all they're, they're, very well this season. So up, yeah. Excellent. So they, they actually, the other teams are signed. But there is a bit of good news. I'm just sorry to, is that what seems to be happening this season so far is the opposition strikers are having a nightmare against Celtic. Other teams, they're just not finishing their chances against us. And that's, that's almost, it's flipped. It's flipped to the other end of the pitch. But that's just, that's, that's exactly that right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. So the yeah. nightmare scenario would be <laughs> opposition. And again, some of this is just randomness and we can't control it. Opposition players finish better and opposition keepers stay, you know, kind of performing at, and and they're not world beating performing and they don't even need to be good. They just need to not be like generationally awful. 
which was what last season was. Um, so that that alone, that's just kind of mean reverting back to their normal bad could be over a full season, a difference in like eight, eight to 10 goals, um, which again, if you're talking about variance and, you know, that, that could be four points or it could be six in, in drop, you know, turning wins into a draw kind of thing. Um, and those, you know, wonderful mid and late December <laughs> uh, Scottish weather evenings in a midweek game um, on a plastic pitch. You know, those are the kind of games where a one nil is great and a, a nil nil is not a shocker. And um, so that's the fine margins that these these things can impact. Yeah, and uh, I guess we're nearly at the end of October now, so we're getting into it. There's been a two-week break period. One thing that we used to always say about Ange Postacoglu was that, okay, well, he's going to take these two weeks to work with these players and come back better. This sounds with Brendan Rodgers believes that the players have a better understanding of the game plan uh, that he wants to implement uh, based on his comments today. So, I mean there is a chance that the wing issue might be improved this time around. And there is a chance that Celtic might start creating more chances and everything that we've been sort of negative about this season, even though it's not really negativity, it's just really critiquing what we're seeing, um, might end up eventually just improving sort of like where, where like things looked so bad at the start of the season. And then after the first champions league game, we came out thinking, well, actually, Celtic did pretty well there and the thing seems to be starting to work. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see an even better performance from Celtic coming off the back of the international window where they had probably their best performance of the season, in my, in my opinion, at Celtic Park. Um, so it could be all rosy um, and Tide Castle this weekend, or it could be a disaster. That's the beauty of football. Um, I guess but just to round out this conversation before we move on to other uh, issues at hand, uh, are we expecting a win for Celtic this weekend at Tidecastle, or are we worried about the game in any way? I'm always expecting a win, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, but in terms of Hearts, interesting season so far. Disappointing, I imagine, for their supporters. They would be thinking that on the back of last year, um, you know, they, they would be starting to build a team that would be looking to be a sort of solid third place at least. Um, and that's not sort of transpired really at the early stages of this season. They seem to have a problem uh, again in the final third, in that their their attacking play has dropped off. So you know, Shanklin's nowhere near as potent. Boyce, he's getting older. Obviously, had a bad injury last season. His his attacking output isn't isn't as great, and they've lost Mackay to injury. And really, outside of Barry Mackay, the rest of their midfield is pretty defensive. Uh, in terms of the, their skill set. So they really lack creativity. So they're really not creating an awful lot. Um, you know, they're just about scraping over, um, you know, one XG per game. And they've actually only scored seven goals in uh, in, uh, in in those uh, first eight games of the season. Um, so I think that's where their, their issues uh, lie. And then, you know, defensively, they've been pretty good. Um, they're kind of, underperforming in attack, but they're overperforming slightly in defence. But the defence is, is reasonably kind of mean um, in terms of, you know, the, 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 they actually limit the opposition in terms of passes in, inside Hearts half. Um, you know, they're probably third in the league in that regard um, and so forth. So I, th- I think, I think it, you know, this, this all speaks to actually going to be 
quite a tight game because obviously Celtic are not <laughs> flowing yet. I mean, to, to your point, and uh, you know, Palmer, if Palmer continues to improve, uh, and, and uh, if, if Hatati plays like he did in the last game, then you know we, these things start to not not be such an issue in attack. So that we can only we can hope that that is the case. Um, but I think against Hearts, well, what I've seen of the, you know, just looking at the data, really, they've actually got a, they've actually got a pretty. Once they get a shot on target, their post shot xG is the third best in the league. Um, but their their sort of xG overall is is pretty pretty kind of miserly. Um, so they are struggling, as I say. I think it looks like they've got quite a few injuries. It looks like they've got some defensive injuries as well. So I think all that being said, the Celtic probably getting a bit stronger. I'm expecting a win, but I'm, I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game. No, total of, a total of twelve goals altogether in Hearts opening eight games. Uh, to put that into context, Celtic have already scored nineteen goals. So <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not often quick to criticise other Scottish teams. Um, but I will I will criticize the middle middle of the road teams like Hearts and, and Hibs because I think they they're vastly negative for what they should be. If I was a Hearts fan, I'd be fucking pissed off. Uh, but if you know you're supposed to be you're supposed to be one of the top five biggest clubs in Scotland, and there's been twelve goals in your total of eight games so far this season, it's just like uh, well, Brexit so so this to me it's uh, you know that going into that. Um, the pitch dimensions and the way that those the games there typically unfold, you know, a little bit more shelling, um, a little more chaos, uh, balls aerially just kind of flying around. Um, I, I think I, I, I thought I saw uh, with everything going on, I, I haven't been as up on Celtic Twitter um, the last week, but I, I did to see i thought that they're they're suffering from some injuries um hard so i'm not sure who's out but you know clearly they're not going to have the depth that we do to endure and, and we're getting healthier so that that's a positive um but to me it'll be come down to and i have no clue like i haven't seen enough of hearts yet this season um uh, under naismith to have a, a sense of whether he's going to set up defensively or have a go at home uh, because if he has a go at home you know, I, I think that definitely um, swings in our our favor uh, if they're more aggressive and coming out. Whereas if they play, you know, more the mid block or more uh, defensively and try to hit us on the counter, play for the set piece, that kind of thing. Based off of what Alan's talking about and their defensive record, their midfield composition, to me that would make sense that for them to kind of come out playing for a nil nil or maybe get a one nil off of a set piece kind of thing or an error, a Celtic error. Um, so that, that's what I'm worried about is that kind of slog kind of game. Um, but, you know, I think so, again, some of this is outside our control, meaning that if, if they play a little bit more expansive and aggressive, then I would be, you know, um, quite confident that we'll at least get a couple of goals, if not more. Apologies to anybody who can hear teenage dirtbag in the background of my audio. If you can hear it, um, it's because of where it. I'm recording at the minute. Well, it's currently <laughs> playing at full blast, and um, <laughs> it's the only thing I can hear. Uh, but I guess we'll park the current uh, game coming up this weekend then I move on to what is in the thumbnail of this on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to get the comments in and, and uh, subscribe to the channel as well. But 
I have a nice picture of uh, Philippe Clement with Brendan Rodgers in the title of A New Challenger Awaits. So yet another name is in at Ibrox Allen. He posted a very nice photo of him already getting to work on the plane over to Glasgow. Fair play to him. It's, it's great to see that he's actually, you know, doing the job that he's getting paid to do. Um, so, I mean, look, is this, is this something that you're worried about? I, you know, look, there's been a lot of names pitched as the next Messiah. And, uh, if all, wrong all week you, and, uh, wrong all week. You, all you, you have should, to do. You should, you should know, Ender, you've met a few. <laughs> yeah. All you have to do is look at the comments below his appointment to see the barrage of French uh, comments, which you can thankfully uh, translate on Twitter. And everyone is, <laughs> is, is saying, uh, good, best of luck with that. In, in, enjoy that because you're not going to enjoy it. This is essentially the uh, Monaco response to Philippe Clement. So. Yeah, listen, I mean, you know, there's there's a very simplistic uh, way of looking at this, which is, is he going to be better than Mickey? <laughs> yeah. And I think we all know the answer to that. But listen, I think if, you, if you're focusing on Philippe Clement or Kevin Muscat or whomever, you're falling into the same trap as most of the fans on that side of the fence, and you're not, you're not looking in the right place, right? And so what do I mean by that is that, you know, should we be worried? Well, as I say, he's going to be more competent. The guy's got a really good CV, decent CV, cannot deny that. He's won three titles in Belgium, you know, probably a stronger league than Scotland, um, you know, and he's uh, got, got some decent results in Champions League, etc. So the guy is clearly a competent manager, albeit one that seems to have the same social media fixation as TikTok Todd. So that's going to be entertaining. I'm following him avidly every day. I'm looking for his updates from training. But all that aside, as I say, whether it was Philip Clement, whether it was, um, you know, Muscat, or whether it was, you know, the chairman's favourite, Derek McInnes, it, it doesn't change the fundamentals. It doesn't change the fundamentals. This is what, you know, this is why they're in this kind of death spiral because, you know, you lose a couple of games you you want the manager sacked um, and you say that the board lacks ambition. Well, the board have been pouring money in as far as they, they're, they're reasonably, and I'm saying in relative terms, their relative wealth compared to most people that own fo- big football clubs, um, you know, as much as they possibly can. Uh, you know, UEFA FSR has closed off the sort of, you know, the, the, the loans gig that they were surviving on for many years in terms of trying to, you know, um, artificially prop up the revenue side of the of the of the of the of the, of the um, you know of their books. Um, so fundamentally, you know, this is a football club that doesn't have a lot of money, but has ridiculously high expectations from their supporters, to whom they pander mercilessly uh, to try and make out that they're meeting those expectations. Um, and as I say, they're, they're they're locked into this death spiral of of ludicrous. Um, uh, you know expectations, and they just haven't clocked on to the realities of the world. The realities of the world are they're up against a far better resourced and financed opponent, with a with, a, with an elite coach in charge, uh, with a year on year on year on year inbuilt financial advantage, with many years of a head start and a lot of saleable assets in the squad, 
versus you know their reality, but they won't confront that reality. And as I say, when things start to go wrong, they scream for the manager's head. The jo- the board jump because the last thing the board can can uh, over there can take is if there's any kind of sense of fans drifting off or any mutiny because they're absolutely more than I think. Kevin Kieran McGuire said there's probably more than any other club in Britain. They're relying on people coming through the gates in terms of income streams. So that starts to drop off. They are in real trouble. Um, so, so in terms of, you know, are we worried? It doesn't change any of those fundamentals. It changes none of them. It doesn't mean to say that Celtic can screw up. And you know, I think in this tra- last transfer window, we've done our done our best to some extent. Um, but you know, I think Rogers is almost mitigating those weaknesses that we we've had. Um, but yeah, listen, you know. He's a manager who, if we want to go back to Clement, so, so, so long story short, in the long term, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter which Lampard, it wouldn't have mattered who you had in there. It, those fundamentals aren't going to change, right? And these these guys may be good football coaches, but they're not magicians. You, you can't turn Cyril Dessers into a, into a, you know, a good centre forward. You can't, you just can't do it, right? So he's going to have to work with what he's got. Um, he's not used to that. Uh, okay, so, you know, uh, Genk, Genk seemed like a decent football club. He pretty much spent what he brought in. He kind of ran at a sort of break even as far as transfers in, transfers out. He obviously you know, traded well. They won the league. That's a great success. He went to Bruges. I mean, you, you want to look at Bruges. They're insane, right? In, in the two and a half years that he was at Bruges, they churned 70-odd players. 70-odd <laughs> players in two and a half years. And this is what I'm talking about. This is how you grow the business. You know, they they they, they sold about 100 and I don't know, forty million pound euros worth of players, and they bought in, um, you know, nearly a hundred million euros worth of players. Something crazy like that. I think there was a net there was a net in, in, influx of money over his two and a half years. So you know, they brought in more than what he spent. But the point was because the churn was so high, and because Bruges are so good at identifying talent and then and then and then spending it and getting it out the door and getting money in. That Clement was supported. You know, he was losing players, but he was getting new players whenever he wanted, right? And he was spending a lot. He spent eight, he spent eighty eight million euros on players in two and a half years, right? That's more than the Rangers have spent in their entire existence, you know, since twenty twelve. So that that gives you some indication, right? And yes, he had to sell players, but he was massively supported. And then he went to Monaco, where they seemed to be uh, like his current employers under the careful eye of uh, UEFA, as far as FSR is concerned. And uh, Monaco had been having to sell their best talent. So, you know, he sold a, a lot of players, but not been able to replace them. So although at Monaco, he was able to buy a couple of 15 million euro players, uh, uh, he, he was selling Tuomeni, he was selling other star players, and they weren't really being replaced. So the squad quality was going down, and he couldn't turn them into a winning team with a reduced quality of squad. And that's more a little bit more akin to the situation he's going to be in now, other than he, he, they're not going to be able to trade their way out of this because they don't have the assets. You know, they don't have the assets to do it. So he's yeah. going to have to work with what he's got. And uh, there's, there's no kind of – this is a new situation for him. And I, I, when, when he was interviewed, he sort of thought, yes, this guy looks like a proper guy, a proper serious kind of coach. But you have to think, how intelligent is he if he took the job? Well, in many ways, he is the perfect Rangers coach, though, because he's never lasted more than two years. So, I mean, he he's not going to get too settled. So, he, he, you know, he in many ways, it's a, a nice little paycheck for him. So, uh, James, 
again, this will he will be put up as uh, within two weeks he'll have Brendan Rodgers' number and <laughs> uh, he'll have, he'll have cracked yeah. the code and yeah. he'll have he'll have changed some stupid rule that is absolutely meaningless, like you know everyone must wear a hat while they're eating toast in the canteen and. It'll be on yep. the daily record as a revolutionary change at Rangers that's really going to sort things out. But sort of like Alan's saying, not to be complacent to the point where Celtic are going to run away with the league here because I think the performances and even like the expected points table has Celtic sort of marginally behind Rangers at the minute. Um, I don't think in the long term this is something that is really going to have a massive impact on Celtic. There probably will be another name in two years' time. Yeah, so I, I I agree with a lot of what Alan said, um, and and Alan and I have, have talked about um, having a difference of opinion on probably Rangers squad quality relative to ours. Um, I'm thinking it's closer to parity on a total basis, not on future value because we've got more younger players and resellable, and um, that's different. But as far as like this season, I and I think. Um, underlying performance metrics kind of fit with that, meaning that you know they, there's um, their schedule's been friendlier, but um, I think they're close close enough to us where some of these variance things that we talk about um, and we haven't been playing well enough. And again, all that can change. We, we've talked about that already, but so far, I think that the two teams are closer than maybe a lot of people might think, and the the big hook on that was how bad Beal was some variance in there. Um, and I think Clement is at least competent to the degree and he's got enough raw material there as far as talent that if he's just not a moron <laughs> um, and probably what concerns me for this season. And, and, you know, I always think about these things in risk reward and probability distributions. Um, so it's not binary for me the way I think about it anyway, but, he he's been again just looking back at his history he's been i'll call it a tinkerer more in the vein of what rogers was during his first tenure at celtic meaning that he plays a lot of different shapes he's a tactician he switches things up um and you know the fact that he's done that and had success in a place like belgium suggests that I mean, is probably again probably at least competent at doing it. You know, he's not playing Kamar Roof at right wing at number and number ten, right? Uh, so most likely, hopefully he does. But um, so I think that threshold of just basic competence, and they have they've got enough squad talent that you know. I mean, we still have a seven point lead, and we still have Rodgers, and we have another transfer window coming with a rumored of a Real Madrid keeper that. You know, who knows? But, you know, so a lot can still change between now. It's a long season to go. And, you know, obviously we still have a lot more going for us. Um, but as far as this season goes, I think, you know, he, he does shift things, meaning that if Beal was still there or they hired, even Muscat, I think the risk reward was, you know, there was some more reward potential, but the risk was big there because, you know, he, he wasn't replacing Ange. He was going to have to come in and implement his whole new system and completely different. It's a different kind of system. It's, you know, we saw that when, when Ange arrived, I mean, these things just, you don't flip a switch and play that way. Um, uh, So, you know, so I think their risk profile is, is lower with Clement this season, 
the thing that actually that in the news, and again, ho- hopefully it's nonsense. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Maybe the guy is just a product of the system. But the talk of the head of recruitment from Brighton being approached about the director of football or technical director, whatever they're going to call it, that to me is more potentially alarming than a Clement or like, I don't know if the guy's competent, but he's, he's at least or really good, but he'd at least be coming out of a system where he will have been exposed to a really smart way of running a football operation. Um, now he's probably not going to be able to bring, what's his name? Bloom. Who's, who's the, I always get the, um, the, 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 the big wigs between Brentford and, and, um, uh, uh, Brighton mixed up, but Bloom at Brighton, yeah. Bloom at Brighton, yeah. So I, you know, he's not going to be able to take Bloom's algorithm with him as far as uh, you know what he's built in order to identify talent and that kind of thing. So there's some proprietary intellectual property of Brighton that you know he's not going to be able to bring. Um, but I mean, that's this is the other thing, comment I had about Clement is uh, Monaco basically did a lift out of uh, Red Bull people and tried to do you know, kind of a replication. I've talked about this in the past. Like that's been a smart way for, for um, uh, North American sporting franchises to go about, you know, uh, trying to kind of accelerate modernization in decision-making and in their operations department. Um, but Monaco's a weird club, like, you know, with the financial fair play, uh, you know, they don't have, well, I, I, I listened to Graham Spears podcast. He was talking to somebody. I mean, they only get what, like 6,000 people, a game, you know, in the stadium for game or something. I mean, it's, and they're, I think they're top of the French league right now too. So it's, that's just weird. But, um, so that's, I, I, and then looking at the way Clement has played, and this is all statistics. I haven't watched any kind of significant amount of film. He doesn't strike me as a Red Bull manager. Um, like he, he's not a, 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 a chaos incarnate, uh, you know, Jesse Marsh type of like play narrow and counter press like lunatics and, you know, try to win the chaos battle. Um, so it may not have been a good fit in that regard as well. And, and as well as some of the, you know, financial stuff that, that, that Alan talked about. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the game changer potentially with a lot of risk around it is if they get somebody like the guy that they're looking at from Brighton and, they can bring with them a modernization and the culture is going to shift. Like those are all the things that would be potential risks on a long-term basis, even with the current financial disparity. Like we're, they're close enough to us, even if they were reasonable financially, that with just the two team league, if they were run extremely smart, like a Brighton, I mean, look what Brighton's doing with their resources in the EPL. Right. So that's, you know, that's, um, they, they could be more problematic on a three to five year basis, but James, James, they've they've, they've, they've they've sacked most of their scouting department to save I, costs. So, I, so, so and, and I agree, I agree, I agree with what you're saying in theory, but it, there's no evidence it's happening. I, I don't disagree. And you with can, you. Again, yeah. you, you you can put a name at the top of that, but if it's a if it's a if it's a vacuum underneath it, and you've got no money, what are you going to do? Yeah, I completely well, agree I, because if you look at the amount of clubs around the world that have tried to replicate the red ball thing and they just have they've gone half arsed about it and it just falls flat in his face it's like oh why did this not work or they bring in like let's say the likes of hassan hoodle or any of the jesse marsh at leeds and you're like oh why didn't they work at these clubs well it's because they had everything handed to them on a plate at red bull because it was a very very well-run club and you're trying to replicate that so sam jewel is the guy who's coming in or supposedly coming in for brighton 
it's all well and good him coming in for Brighton, but he could be gone within a month because he's like, absolutely no, no way this isn't going to work here because I don't have the support level to do so. So, I mean, well, I, so do, there's, I, I do think there's a lot of things to fall into place in order for it to work for them. Yeah, for somebody like that, and again, I, I, I have no idea who he is or, you know, what his, what his uh, character is or ambitions or anything like that. But for someone in that kind of position at a club like Brighton to make that kind of move, unless, and I'm not ruling this out, unless they're completely lied to, um, he'd be a, he'd be a moron to leave Brighton in the head of recruitment role to take that job at Rangers unless he had like a huge amount of assurances that he's going to have basically that the the control and the resources of an architect, right? And say, hey, come be mini Brighton here and we're going to give you what you need. Uh, I'm not, you know, like I said, whether the resources are there, whether the culture would be there, all that stuff, probably not. That's maybe, and that might be why he's unlikely to take the job. Ultimately, we'll see. Um, but we've talked about this endlessly with Celtic, meaning that just just having an analytics department or just having good data or just having scouts. I mean, it, none of that matter. And a lot of clubs have that now. It's a question of what are you doing with this stuff and what are the people that are using it and what's the culture and the embracing of a decision making methodology and prioritization of various things. Um, so that's why it's incredibly difficult to do any of this stuff that's why the, the you know the mini me's i call them um usually fail because they don't they don't have that cultural dna like an alkmaar like a salzburg i mean these places you know um and and even them they, the, uh, you know it's it's almost like uh, the technology industry mm. uh, unless you've got like an artificial barrier to entry it's only the paranoid survive Right. You have to, to stay in front of the competition. You have to constantly be innovating, constantly looking to stay ahead, um, even if you've got this, you know, these certain advantages um, or else you start to fall by the wayside because other people with ambition yeah. will catch you. Um, they, they could they, they could they could take five years out, essentially, and say, look, this is how you know we're going to stop here. This isn't working. We're going to we're going to try and make up the difference. In financial resources to our our rival Celtic by being smarter, we're going to take five years to build infrastructure, hire the right people, youth development, recruit from certain markets, develop a, a, a way of playing. The fans will never, never, ever, 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 and ever, ever yeah. allow that for, for cultural reasons. They'll never, ever, ever allow that. But that's what they need to do. That's the that's their only hope um, of of competing over the long term with a better resource, a much better resource rival, but they won't do it. They won't do it. And sticking Brighton's, you know, poster boy in the middle of a structure chart isn't, isn't going to change. Isn't going to change anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think uh, that's probably the best place to end the podcast for this week as well. Um, We will be back again with our regular schedule over the next couple of weeks as we get back into the SBFL season I think there's only one more international break now at the end of November, so we'll be flat mid mid November, mid November. Yeah. I've already looked yeah. at it. Yeah. So um, up until then, we have a full month of SBFL football, Champions League football. So we'll be covering it all here on the Huddle Breakdown. Alan James, thanks very much as usual, and thanks to you for listening in and watching in as you do every single week. We really do appreciate it. If you're uh, new to the channel, be sure to hit subscribe and get involved in the conversation as well. And we shall chat to you again next week. Good luck.